Welcome everyone to satsang. It's very nice to see you all here. <clears throat> and I'll explain that chant to you. <laughs> I, have, I have a reason. <clears throat> so Sri Krishna Chaitanya was known as uh, Lord Goranga. Sri Krishna Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He's a great saint. I don't know, I think 14th century, but you could, somebody could check that. We got a phone, anybody? <clears throat> uh, say, uh, Lord Gorango, what year? Uh, and um, he was the great Vaishnava of a saint. And in fact, he's thought of as the uh, eponymous hero of the Hare Krishna movement. Uh, and his great disciple was Nityananda. Uh, so we have done cultural appropriation here. We took the Nityananda of that, and I have done a further cultural appropriation because Chaitanya uh, is the subject of, uh, of my thoughts tonight. Did we figure? Close enough, 15, so 15th century, 1486. Uh, okay, 15th, 15th, 16th century, huh? <clears throat> Shakespeare is born what year? 1564. <laughs> what did you say? Okay. So I'm sad this week because I heard the news that uh, uh, Richard Chaitanya Mann, Professor Richard Chaitanya Mann, passed away at a ripe age, close to 90. Uh, he was one of the stalwarts of the Ann Arbor Ashram. Uh, he was a professor of psychology at the University of Michigan. Uh, do we have the picture? Oh, that's not him. Okay, wait, I knew I would get this wrong. My fault. Let's, uh, let's look at this, because the subject is really that fellow. So we're going to do... You want to go, go through the order you have. So Baba on tour, it's about, it's about Baba's visit to Ann Arbor in, in uh, September of 1974. How many years ago is that? A lot of years ago. So go on, next one, what do you got? Next picture. Okay. There's uh, Professor Mann and uh, me. <clears throat> and uh, Chaitanya was a, a stalwart, a, a real important member. He became a member of the Board of Trustees of uh, the Ann Arbor Ashram, and uh, he began the Arjuna Institute, which was uh, an adjunct uh, uh, kind of an intellectual side of the ashram, and uh, so many great times uh, that we had. <clears throat> when we got, we got to, to uh, Ann Arbor, Baba sent me there, in July of 74, and uh, I had um, my uh, Girija's brother had a, a rooming house. He was, uh, what do you call it? Landlord. What was he? A landlord. Not the landlord exactly, but the, the manager. Superintendent. And uh, it, was a, it was a vegetarian co-op. Uh, Ann Arbor's a college town, big university there, and they've got lots of big uh, fraternity houses and co-ops and things like that. So we got this big building uh, and um, 
he told, so uh, I got there and there were about eight people living in the ashram, seven to nine, some number like that. And I said, uh, from tomorrow, this is a Muktananda ashram. So you can, uh, you can stay or you can go. And everybody stayed except for two people. The rest of them all stayed, became devotees. <laughs> I don't know what they were drinking. Um, but it became the ashram. And in the early days, uh, Chaitanya man, Richard, um, wandered in somehow. You know who brought him? Was it Gilly Gilly or something? I don't know who brought him, but he came he met and... Baba. What? He met Baba. No, he didn't meet Baba. He came early days before Baba came. He was part of the preparation. He lived on the block, same to, block. Huh? He lived on the same block. No, he didn't live there then. No, that, he, moved, he moved there later. No, good try. <laughs> anyway, he wandered in and um, we... Gilly Gilly. Maybe. And we had a great friendship. And his, uh, um, now you, were his, you had some connection with him. Was it? With Dick Mann? Yeah. No. no? Das? Das? No? Anyway. Anyway, Baba came, in, Baba came in September, late September of 74. Okay. Okay. Just Professor Man. Professor All right. What's the next? What's the next picture? So there's the the building. Welcome, Baba Muktananda. It says that was. It later expanded to three buildings plus an annex, and so uh, we had more than sixty people living in the in the ashram. This is actually the extension of the of the Ann Arbor Ashram in the present time. <clears throat> uh, and that uh, the, on the top and the, uh, the porch on top, uh, that was uh, my apartment. Baba stayed there when he came to visit. What's the next thing? And there's uh, Baba cutting the ribbon. And I'm there in Girza. And he's cutting the ribbon to officially open it. And meanwhile, Chaitanya, Chaitanya man, um, Chaitanya Richard man, um, uh, organized a program for professors and particularly for the psychology department and other academics and students to meet Baba. And that happened the next day after, um, after uh, Baba came. And I remember, Amma was there ahead, and uh, I was so beside myself. And Baba was driving in, and she told me, when you open the car door, I was going to open the car door, and I should say, Baba Swagat, um, which means welcome. And so I was memorizing that. <laughs> so I opened the Baba Swagat, and he came, he steamed in, uh, and that was that day. And the next day, we had this little conference. Uh, and at that conference, uh, Devi Ma met Baba for the first time. Chaitanya met Baba for the first time. And Larry Holmes, Gopalananda, met Baba for the first time. So it was a significant event. Let's see some more pictures. Uh, while during Baba's stay, I, these Ann Arbor are dreaming now. Uh, the Karmapa and Baba, the Karmapa was a, a major Tibetan saint yogi, 
Um, second only to the Dalai Lama in importance in that lineage, great being. And uh, they had met in India before, and they were both traveling through America. One was going east to west, the other west to east, and they decided to meet in Ann Arbor. So I hosted both of them during this stay. There they are, having a great time. <coughs> I hung out a bit with, uh, with the Karmapa. So next. Oh, <laughs> this is a family photograph. There's Baba. Can you pick him out? And uh, there's me and Girija. And uh, there's uh, uh, Girija's brother in the back. And my uncle and aunt are in the front, Uncle Michael and Aunt Lee. They came to met Baba. And uh, Aunt Lee just adored him. <coughs> Michael, it was challenging to his mind. <laughs> but uh, he started, <laughs> never mind. It's in my book, quite embarrassing moment. Next, what do you have? Oh, guess who that is? You recognize that person? I've never seen that photo before. Yeah, we found it there. There she is, <clears throat> processing herself. Okay, I thought you'd like that, huh? I thought you'd like that. Next. That's it? Okay. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> I'm going to uh, first say to you, Subko Barisanmane Kesat Premse Hardik Swagat Baba. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart, which is how Baba always began his programs, uh, and it's a great welcome, and it, it's, it sums up his spirit. Not just words with Baba, but uh, he had the most generous, loving, overflowing heart, and you felt truly welcomed by him in his cosmic embrace. And th this is a transcript of that, that uh, psychology meeting with Baba in uh, September 24th, 1974. And recently I shared a lot of programs Baba did with psychologists. Everywhere around, uh, on his tour, around the States particularly, he met groups of psychologists and spoke to them because he always said that Patanjali was the great psychologist, that the yogis were, were, they were actually great psychologists, so he loved talking to psychologists. So Baba says, <clears throat> and David Ma, do you remember this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Baba says, all over the country I've encountered many students of psychology at Stanford and Sonoma State, those on the West Coast, and I attended a conference of humanistic psychology in San Diego. At the universities and outside, I've met a lot of psychologists. For everyone without exceptions, the mind seems to be a problem. No matter whether you're rich or poor, your mind doesn't seem to like you, or you don't seem to like yourself. If you're a student, you're not satisfied with learning, but at the same time, you're not willing to become stupid. You find people becoming sick of pleasure and enjoyments, yet they don't have a desire for renunciation. The mind is a very strange place, 
If you're a man, you don't feel happy. If you're a woman, you don't feel happy being a woman. If you're a man, you don't feel happy being a man. You've seen the future, no? And this is the kind of state the mind seems to be in. Not a very pleasant one. The mind seems to behave in a very strange fashion. It becomes unhappy, not because it doesn't have anything, even when it has everything. It seems to be tormenting everyone. I wonder who knows how many people there are who haven't been tormented by their minds. You know anybody who's been tormented by their mind? Their mind? In India, there have been many psychologists, right from the time unknown, who've been involved with the mind, who've tried to understand its nature, and who've tried to understand it, who've tried to find ways to tackle it. In India, you have different rituals and methods of worship, all for the purification of the mind. So he's saying that everything, all of yoga, all the practices of yoga, the mantra repetition, and the rituals, the yagna, the worship of deities and so on, is only to calm the mind. Once the mind is calm, then the self can be revealed. So everything that we do is, in our path is about the mind. <clears throat> he says, the objective in India has been to purify the mind because the mind causes so much trouble. And you know, the deeper you go into your own self-study, the more you understand yourself, the more you meditate, the more you practice self-inquiry, you realize how profound, how profoundly the state of your mind affects your life. We tend to put the blame on externals, on this thing and that thing, that person did this, that person did that, and we, you know, we get bad luck, this didn't happen, that didn't happen. But when you really look at it and examine it, and you make a profound study of it, you realize that it's the state of your mind that's the key to happiness and key to misery. And that's an extraordinary understanding to have. Then you discover that your first order of business should be to purify the mind, to curate the mind, to cultivate the right attitudes, and so on. <clears throat> so Baba says, the goal of our sages and seers was to make the mind still, to free it from passions, and to stabilize it, to quiet it talking about Patanjali, but not only Patanjali, all the great yogis. The Buddha is one. Our ancient seers taught that it would not matter if you did not have too many clothes to wear, or if you got a little less food to eat than you require, but you must free yourself from the perversions of the mind. And by that he means negative thoughts, self-hatred, all kinds of thoughts like that. Paranoia of the mind, fears of the mind, uh, and so on, depression of the mind. A certain kind of mind produces agitation and anxiety and suffering even in the midst of affluence and in the midst of enjoyments. I think uh, it's endemic in the West that the main disease is that of anxiety. There's never been such affluence as we have in our Western cultures. Uh, and despite all that, there's an enormous amount of anxiety Baba goes, it creates an atmosphere of suffering inside and it doesn't know how to become quiet or still. So what is the state of the mind? What is the state of your mind? What is the inner weather? What's going on in your inner world? 
It's a question you should ask yourself many times a day. And then, you know, so at the beginning we think, well, that just sort of happens spontaneously. But then we discover that we can control what's going on in there through yoga, through inquiry, through different practices. He says, it's for this reason that our ancient sages and seers were involved with finding out ways through yoga and meditation and right knowledge to still the mind and make it steady and to free it of all its impurities and defects and thus to live one's life in happiness and in joy. So this is Baba's preliminary talk to all the psychologists. <clears throat> uh, right knowledge is also important, not just practices, but right understanding. In fact, it's more important than practices. To understand things in the proper way can bring peace of mind. Baba says, now I've been told, I've told you about the goals of our sages, I would like to hear from you. And so Chaitanya Man began, began the thing, the first question. He says, it's just as you said, these are the minds we walked in with today, so it's hard to hear just one voice inside. Precisely what you said is true. There are thousands of voices going on inside. And he had a very expressive way of talking. Thousands of voices going inside. <clears throat> Swami Atmananda knew him well also. Yeah. Yeah. An what? An imitation. <laughs> <laughs> His talks were always marvelous. They were incredibly imaginative. Anyway. anyway, Baba. It's essential to reduce the number of these voices and make sure that you're hearing only one voice from within. I call that the voice of the self. It'd be very good if you could only hear the true voice, but we hear the voice of anger, the voice of paranoia, the voice of regret, the voice of jealousy, the voice of everything, you know. <clears throat> it's precisely for this that in, uh, the ancient seers of India, who lived long ago, used to honor meditation so much. Through meditation, they would cleanse their minds and conduct their normal lives in a state of peace and cheerfulness. Sometimes it happens through one's effort, through the strength of one's endeavor, one becomes free of thoughts for a few moments, and that seems very good. If one could attain the state which is free from thoughts through meditation, then one would be able to live one's life peacefully in spite of one's mind. <clears throat> Chaitanya, second question. When you say it's possible to live one's life peacefully by means of meditation, one can have a quiet mind. Are you saying that American people like us could live the kind of lives we do with the business and distractions? We could live those lives joyfully? <clears throat> if we could meditate successfully? Or would we have to change our lives in order to meditate successfully? Can we, in other words, can we live the life we're living? And, uh, or do we have to go to monasteries and uh, the Himalayas? Baba, you don't have to change your lifestyle because I've been traveling through different countries and I can't find much difference in the lifestyles of different countries. No matter how busy your life is, that in itself is not an obstacle. It's your attitude towards it which is an obstacle. 
This is when, as you know the mind, attitude is so key, the attitude. Along with what's happening in my mind, ask what your attitude is, your attitude towards whatever you're doing at the time. Is it positive, is it negative? <clears throat> Baba says, it's quite possible for man to develop what the Gita calls the power of the intellect, or the power by means of which one can function effectively even in the midst of the most unfavorable circumstances. The Gita calls it stitta pragna, which is the state of wisdom. To have a, a steady mind, not to be jumping all over, but be anchored in the truth. Baba says, as far as different occupations and distractions go, there isn't much that you can do about it. Life will be like that sometimes. No matter who you are, whatever you're doing, it comes and goes, goes up and down. You know, good days and bad days. Uh, this and that, good luck and bad luck. But that doesn't mean your mind has to jump with each movement. It doesn't have to become excessively happy when you have good luck and excessively depressed when you have bad luck. <clears throat> what you really need is the power of wisdom, the power of a cultivated intellect, a curated intellect. <clears throat> By that power, one can work even more than before. So this is... Bhagwan's teaching of Bhavana Rako, isn't it? It's to hold that state, to keep that state, to find that balanced state of uh, equilibrium, a clear space of good feeling, and to hold on to that state. Then no matter what happens, you're ready for it. Question, some other psychologist said. Where does meditation come in? Is it a daily thing? Is it a practice? Is this part of the, the calming of the mind? part of a daily routine that we must adopt? Baba, it would be good to meditate every day. Just as you eat every day, sleep every day, you earn money every day, go to the factory every day, and return from there every day, likewise it would be good for one to meditate every day. <clears throat> so when he does everything else every day, we can certainly also meditate every day. <laughs> daily meditation. Question, another different one. Does each individual have their own meditation, or is there one meditation which is appropriate for all people? What's Baba going to say? Okay. <clears throat> Baba, the essence of, the me of meditation is to make the mind still, to pacify, quiet the mind. There are many different techniques which have been recommended for it. <clears throat> but it is the stillness that is very necessary. In other words, the techniques are not so important. It's the goal that's important. What matters is that no matter what technique you f one follows, the mind should become a little more and a pure and a little steady. There are many people who would tell you to meditate this way or that way. One must learn to meditate, but the true meditation is that which rises, arises from within. So now Baba's saying this, there's all kinds of techniques that you use, but in his yoga, in Siddha Yoga, the yoga that we practice, there's the yoga of spontaneous meditation based on the inner energy, the kundalini energy. <clears throat> and so the question, next question leads to that. Does, the, is a teacher needed to kindle the spontaneous process of acquiring meditation? Baba, yes, teacher is very necessary. 
A being who can activate spontaneous meditation in you is a very high being. You cannot get cheated there. This kind of meditation will not cause you any harm. He's talking about Shaktipat. You know, I had the direct experience of this because I practiced uh, Vipassana meditation directly before going to Ganesh Ashram, way back. I had met Baba, but I went to Bombay because Ramdas had told me, take Goenka's course. So I took Goenka's course and uh, it was very arduous. Lots of day, you know, lots of meditation all day long and so on. And I had one breakthrough experience and then I couldn't find it again. Um, and I thought, this is hard. Uh, then I got to the Ganeshpuri Ashram and it became easy because the atmosphere was so charged with energy that, that meditation became spontaneous. And I thought, yeah, this is for me. <laughs> he goes, Baba goes on, besides, the form of that form of meditation will lead you to the state of perfection. That is the best kind of meditation. <laughs> the kind of meditation that you do with your own effort is very ordinary. The beings which can put you into a spontaneous meditation are very rare. But if you can find such a one, that would be a great blessing. Besides, spontaneous meditation includes all different forms of meditation and all different forms of yoga. And one doesn't have to push oneself around thinking, I haven't done this, I must do that. I haven't learned this, I must go learn that. Because he's saying that the inner energy leads you to whatever method or, or teaching or aspect you need. What happens, it unfolds. Question. Here we teach at, in the university the history of Hindu philosophy. And I would like to ask some advice from you how we can make a class more effective in other ways than academic. So this is the end of the 60s and you know, we're getting into the borderline of second education, aren't we here? Baba says, the main thing for such a teacher is true personal experience. And if you have direct personal experience, that convinces people quickly. And if you're without it, it takes you much longer to teach them. So second education based on experiential direct experience. As a number of yoga teachers and gurus multiplies, just a couple of minutes ago, somebody said, there seems to be a surplus of gurus in America making all kinds of claims. And if a guru is not a true guru, how can his disciples attain something real? Anyone who teaches should have directly experienced the truth of his teaching. It's not just enough to function through books. So he's talking about second education. Question, I understand <laughs> this wonderful question. Some innocent professor asked this. I understand you have reached nirvana. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? I understand. <clears throat> and I'd like to know if that is something you spent your lifelong effort, or is it something that happened just one day, like spontaneous meditation happens, one day without effort? What would Baba say there? <laughs> It's a wonderful answer. Baba, the state of nirvana, which I've attained, is within everyone. <laughs> Such a Baba answer, isn't that marvelous? <clears throat> Many years of my life were spent in a quest for it on my own. Many years, and not just many years, there are people who spend lifetimes in their quest, practicing different techniques 
and yet nothing comes into the hands. However, if you could find a being like the ones whose picture you see in front, Bhagwan, something like that, <clears throat> if you could obtain his grace, you could have a direct personal experience of that state in an instant by his mere touch. Then one realized that all the 10, 20, 30 years which one spent practicing different techniques really brought one nowhere. That's very hardcore. The Baba was a real avid seeker. I don't think we can imagine what that's like, going from place to place, doing austerities, and absorbing different teachings and so on. <clears throat> Question. So the whole thing is, fi in, is, is finding God, finding a teacher, finding a guru. <clears throat> it doesn't depend on what meditation you do, but what teacher you get it from? What? You're saying what? Baba, yes, that's totally correct. <laughs> I am one who practiced so many different techniques and studied so many different scriptures, yet none of those techniques and none of my studies were of any help to me. Very ferocious. <clears throat> it was only after receiving his touch, the touch of my guru between my eyebrows, that I attained what I was looking for, and I realized the truth of all the scriptures that I had studied. I attained the goal of all the techniques that I'd practiced. <clears throat> and the question is, said, that's pretty hardcore. So a good question. Is it possible, questioner, is it possible that after practicing all those techniques that you did, uh, that this was a path of tests, of overcoming obstacles that you had to go through to reach Nityananda? So wasn't there some worth in doing all that that got you to the Bhagwan? And, uh, and Baba relents here. Baba says, yes, it's true that no matter what techniques you, you do, it's bound to purify you to a certain degree. <laughs> and I can also say that all the scriptures I read, all the practice I performed, led me to Nityananda. And even if they had not done anything for me, I would have gone to him all the same because those techniques had failed. <laughs> He'd, uh, he had had some kind of attainment. People looked to him as a teacher and so on at that time, but he knew inside that he didn't, he, there was still something more. He didn't know what it was. And then it all happened with Bhagavan Nityananda. Baba. Oh, question, question. What advice do you have for those of us who live in Ann Arbor where there are very few gurus to choose from? <laughs> what is your advice to us find the, the right guru for us? Baba, when seekership manifests itself in you, a guru will come to you from somewhere or another. So you have to become a, ready, you have to become a seeker. <clears throat> I... Uh, I became a seeker, and I raced around the whole world to find a guru. I was led to the guru. I don't know what happened there, but something happened. <clears throat> Even though guru may appear to be a limited human being, he is all-pervasive and can give you messages from within, from anywhere. Then besides, there is the inner guru, the guru who is present in the triangle, triangle in the midst of the sahasra, the thousand-petal spiritual center in the cerebrum, and the guru is actually there. So that guru may also show the path to the outer guru, 
And in India, that happens quite often, that an aspirant, while meditating, has a vision which tells him to go to this particular part of the country and meet this particular guru, and he goes there, and that's how he finds his guru. Well, I had that. I, had, I, I knew that I had to go to India. I didn't even have any part of the country. I just said, go to there. Go to that place far away. It was like a com compulsion. Baba always talks about the triangle from the Guru Gita. It's, uh, it's got the a, ka, and ta on the different sides of the triangle. So he always talks about the guru dwells there. <clears throat> it's from the Guru Gita. Baba says, a meditator before attaining the vision of the final truth first has a vision of the guru within. One can see that guru, that guru is divine. There was a great saint in Maharashtra who received initiation in a dream from a being who had come from Siddhaloka, which is the subtle world where the Siddhas dwell, the world of perfected being, and his name was Keshava Chaitanya. <clears throat> in one of his poetic passages, he says that the Supreme Guru is the master of the universe. This is the, the disciple. It was Tukaram Maharaj who had a vision of, of this uh, Keshava Chaitanya. And he wrote, the Guru is the master of the universe who erected a tiny house, as tiny as a sesame seed, and lives in that. That house is like a dot, like a bindu. Baba called it the blue pearl, the nila bindu. Uh, and a meditator is able to see forms of many gods and goddesses, many deities appearing and disappearing within this dot, within that house. So it's the very self, the core of our being that this is. It's consciousness itself in the heart and the sahasrara. Tukaram, who's the composer of this verse, says, to that bindu, though that bindu appears so tiny, it holds in its belly all the three worlds, heaven, the mortal world, and hell. These are the three worlds of the macrocosm. Then there are the three worlds within the microcosm, the worlds of waking, dream, and deep sleep, that too are held in the belly of that tiny bindu, and that exists in every man, and that is why I say that man is very, very great. So within consciousness, consciousness, in the smallest bit of consciousness, the whole is contained. All of the universe is contained in the smallest particle of consciousness, and that's the, the blue pearl that Baba, <coughs> Baba talks about. And he says, because of all of us, all of us have this self within us, this pure consciousness within us, we have greatness. But we don't attain that greatness if we don't turn towards that, if we don't make an attempt to realize that. We get caught up. The world is so glittering and so frightening. It's both frightening and glittering. So we attend sometimes to the glitter, I want, I want, I want, and sometimes to the fright, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, that we forget about looking within and connecting to this space of consciousness within. <clears throat> Baba says, in a sense, I'm sitting here in this chair. I have my body covered with certain clothes, and if I look at my clothes, I would not be able to know my body. I would know only my clothes. Likewise, if I were to look at my body, I would be able to know only the body, not the bodiless one living in the body. And that is only when I look at the bodiless one who dwells within the body that I come to know that I am that. 
I am that bodiless one. The body is the vehicle. The Gita says the body is the vehicle and the self resides in the body. Chaitanya left his body, so the body, the vehicle is no longer in use, but Chaitanya lives. I'm sure he's dancing with Baba now in the Ann Arbor ashram in the sky. <clears throat> Baba says, I would become aware of who I really am, then I would become aware of my own worthiness, of my own greatness, my own divinity. We hate ourselves, we attack ourselves, we think we're less than, we're no good and so on. This is all based on a wrong understanding, comparing ourselves to others. We have this incredibly vicious uh, tendency of comparing ourselves to others, what other people have, what we don't have, and this and that. And because of that, we tear into ourselves. That's because we don't know the divinity that's within us. <clears throat> Question. Another person asked. <clears throat> In the time that I've known of you, you have worked through many things in my mind that I was unable to work through in psychotherapy, and I wonder how that is possible. So <clears throat> I, I, uh, I, had a, I was talking to uh, um, uh, Sally Kempton today, actually, and I said, Mahananda, Mahananda Peggy Bendett, was, uh, was on a tour with, in, Bob in, in Ann Arbor. She said, no, she wasn't. And so I accepted that, but now I see that it was, it was her. This question is from Mahananda, and I got this right. You can tell Sally that. <laughs> no, don't tell her. <clears throat> Mahananda became uh, uh, quite a formidable person on the tour. <clears throat> and I'll tell you how I know. Listen, Baba says, so she said she's, she did all these things, but since being traveling with Baba, she's gotten a lot. Baba said, that is due to the power of the touch, pointing to the photo of Nityananda. Even psychiatrists cannot impart that touch. It is only a rare one who has arrived there and who can give you this touch. This, what you described, is due to inner awakening, due to a subtle yoga, which is going on inside of you, and it is a result of that. And Baba says, she is a reporter from Honolulu, and all this happens because of the inner touch. That's her. Take that. <laughs> and this is what you may call easy yoga. <clears throat> it's also known as city yoga, uh, or the yoga of Shaktipat, or Shiva yoga. This takes you to the other side of the mind. Isn't that great? <clears throat> the dark side of the mind, no, the light side of the mind. <clears throat> there was a great yogi who lived in a palace near Pune. No, a place near Pune. <clears throat> place. And he was the king of all yogis, that's Yanashwar Maharaj. He used to say, and this is a good one for psychologists, Oh my mind, why don't you enjoy that which remains over when the mind ceases to be mine? when the mind merges itself into the highest truth, the supreme truth. So that which remains over after the mind ceases to be the mind, why don't you remain aware of that? This inner touch also cleanses the impurities of the mind. 
<clears throat> that's a quote from Yaneshwar Maharaj, one of the great saints of Maharashtra. Question, <clears throat> is it not enough, let's see how we're doing, we're doing okay now? It's an interesting uh, conversation, huh? Baba's really sucking it to them. <clears throat> uh, is it not enough to have perfect faith in oneself? What else do you need, Baba? It's great to have faith in yourself. One finds it quite easy to put trust in everything <clears throat> and it's very difficult to put trust in yourself. If somebody were to tell you that the highest energy dwells in water, then you would rush towards water. If somebody were to tell you that the highest energy dwells in fire, you would rush towards fire. If somebody were to come and tell you that the highest energy dwells within you, you would say, no, how can that be possible? <laughs> I'm inferior, I'm a sinner. The whole purpose of meditation is to give you this faith in your own self, not for the attainment of God, because God has always been here inside of us. It's because of this lack of faith in our own self that we haven't been able to experience them. Makes it very straightforward and simple, and you'd have to be crazy not to want to meditate after that, wouldn't you think? That's what happened to me. Pretty good, huh? I was standing in the back of the room thinking, Bob's kicking ass. <laughs> Davy Ma was passed out. <laughs> because Baba's vibration so high that if you hadn't come into it, it just wiped you out. <laughs> True, no? Question. Is pure faith enough? Baba. All that you need is that faith should be real, nothing else. Reminds me of uh, Sai Baba of Shirdi who said, Shraddha and Saburi, uh, faith and patience, yeah? The ability to endure, really, you could say. That's all you need, those two things. <clears throat> then Baba says, the man sitting next to you, the one who asked the question, is the teacher of Vedanta. And who would that be? James. What? James. No. James. No. I don't know. Rambar. No. <laughs> the test is over. What? The test is over. He's trying. Swami Tejo Mayananda. Or as we called him, Tejo. Or we called him Tejo. That's what Shantananda called him, Tejo. He, he had been, he'd, uh, been a student of uh, Shivananda Vrishikesh, and he'd even written a book on Vedanta. And uh, Baba had to unlearn all that Vedanta in him, which he did. Um, but anyway, the man sitting next to you is a teacher of Vedanta, and one of the key phrases in Vedanta is Brahmanishta, one who has faith in the absolute, Brahmanishta. We talked about that during the retreat. To be established, in Brahman, <clears throat> in the Supreme Being who is established in Brahman, and that Brahman is your own self. This means to have faith in one's own self. Faith is great power. If you had faith in yourself, then you're doing the greatest good for yourself. A seeker gets Guru's grace when he gives the Guru his grace. <clears throat> so when the disciple gives his grace to the Guru, the Guru's grace 
flows naturally to him. Baba often said that disciples' grace is more important than Guru's grace. Of course, the Guru's grace is always there, but the disciple doesn't open. So if the disciple opens, Guru's grace floods in. This is the literal truth. Question. I was curious why the women were on one side and the men on the other. I asked someone and they said, custom. And I was wondering what place custom has in higher consciousness? <laughs> that is a real Ann Arbor question. <laughs> Baba, <clears throat> does higher consciousness want that men and women should always be touching each other? <laughs> you should ask him, that means higher consciousness, that, and let me know what he says. I wonder at the wits of the people to raise this kind of question. Is there a distinction of men and women in consciousness? This kind of question, this is a man, this is a woman, and they must be together, that arises not out of consciousness, but out of ignorance. Consciousness does not unite these two with each other. Consciousness takes up one of these two and unites that with himself, itself. And this is a way that we follow at meditation retreat or a place where sadhana is conducted. For sadhana, for spiritual discipline, it's very important to sit still and sit with a calm mind. For sadhana, you have to depend only on yourself, not on somebody else. You find people rubbing each other constantly, and that is their sadhana. <laughs> It is, it is to take you away from that for a certain while. For a certain while, you can sit free from a certain kind of excitement. <laughs> but you don't have to feel scared. This kind of thing is insisted upon just for a couple of days, not forever. It's the Baba. Huh? I don't know if that was the right one to end the program on, but, but, uh, but it's pretty good. It's a great, a great session, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, God. <clears throat> so, um, so let's meditate for 10 minutes. We talked so much about meditation. <clears throat> and uh, the truth about meditation never changes. I've been doing this for over 50 years. And it's that when the mind turns in, instead of out, the outgoing mind uh, creates all kinds of agitation and thoughts and desires, feelings, fears. But when the mind turns in towards its core and learns how to abide there and stay there, then it connects to the source of joy, source of love, source of power that's within, it's within every person. And there are places inside you that if you haven't meditated, you can only dream of. You've had tastes in the highest moments of your life. You have a bit of a taste of what the self is like. And so there's this place within in meditation. We go direct to that place. We let the mind become calm. And we go to the other side of the mind, the mind beyond the mind, where pure awareness lives and pure love lives and pure joy so let's meditate for 10 minutes and if you like you can use the mantra of our tradition om namah shivaya which means i honor the self i bow to self i bow to consciousness and so let's meditate now for 10 minutes and once again with great respect and love i welcome you all with all my heart
सत्यनाथ महाराज की जय लक्ष्मण